the, uh, the uh, odd paragraphs, and you guys will read the even paragraphs, and Rick will kind of lead you guys in the tempo on your paragraphs, okay? <clears throat> James chapter 3, verses 2 through 12. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. And no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men, who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things are not to be this way. Does the fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh when you pray. So, God, um, we pray that you will open our hearts to your word this morning. That the thing that you have for each one of us, we will be ready to receive it. And we pray that we will not only be hearers of your word, but doers as well, ready to respond with action. Not so often, Father, I, I hear something and, and I don't say to myself, I'm not going to do that. I say to myself, I don't think I can do that. We put ourselves in your hands to do your will, not by our, our power, God, not by our straining, but by your Holy Spirit and by your direction in our lives. We thank you. Open our hearts and our minds to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't you sit down and you can turn to John 17 again, though I'll warn you we're going to be um, actually moving through some verses. You might want to take some notes on these uh, because I'll explain what we're doing momentarily. And what we are doing is last week we were in John 17 and I was very happy to get through the whole chapter his whole prayer at once. It seemed important to do that. I was not so happy with the development of the topic of our purpose in life that we see in Jesus. He prayed for all believers. He himself knew that his purpose was to do what? His purpose on earth was to glorify the Father. We need to do that study again. You better respond or I'll you know, get nervous. No. His purpose was to glorify the Father. His destiny was to be with the Father forever, to, for him to be reunited with the Father, where he had always been. 
Hebrews chapter 2 that was on the cover of our bulletin told us that his goal and purpose in suffering was that he might bring many sons and daughters unto glory. And that our purpose is now the purpose that we've been given by God through Jesus Christ, which is to glorify him on earth. And our destiny is the same as Jesus also, is to be with him forever. Amen? You true? Is that right? If you're a Christian, you, know, you can say it different ways, but that's basically our purpose. So, you hear the terminology often, I'm sure you have with me, heard the ta- terminology, go vertical. Have you ever heard that? Go vertical. You're by the silence. I, I heard one person go, yeah. So, uh, so you'll hear, there's a lot of youth groups, and it's called vertical. Uh, and go vertical, because they're talking about connecting to God and relating to God. How do you do that? Typically, you do that through prayer, reading the Bible, worshiping the Lord. These are ways to go vertical. And many of us would say, when we say your purpose of glorifying God, it gets a little hazy about the rest of your life, a little foggy. I mean, Rick, you can sit there and say, your purpose is to glorify God. What's your purpose? My purpose is to glorify God. Okay, go do it. Um, um, (laughs) Okay. A little foggy, right? Some of you are way ahead. You know exactly what it means. You function perfectly in this. God bless you. Most of us are trying to figure out, like, how does that work out practically? Because most of us, wait, all of us live our lives. What's that? Horizontally. Yeah. And by the way, the scriptures talk about prayer, worship, you know, studying his scripture. But they really, the scriptures talk tremendously more about how you live your life in the horizontal. It's because the vertical and the horizontal meet. Absolutely. By the way, doesn't that look like something to you? Yeah. (laughs) Not by accident by God, not by accident by me either. A cross. You see, your life intersects with your, your glorifying God purpose and the cross of Jesus Christ everywhere, in everything. But... What does that mean? <laughs> how, do you, how do you do that? Well, let's take one example today on how we use the horizontal to go vertical and how we do that. And let's use something that happens all the time. It's happening right now, we hope. We hope right now that there is communication happening. I don't have to draw that line longer. I still want the picture of the cross. <laughs> but I want, We communicate, don't we? We communicate. Did you read James chapter 3 with me? <laughs> you know, I didn't want to read the main... I wanted somebody else up here in case I fell over under the power of God. <laughs> Not because of a great, wonderful move of the Spirit because of joy, but because of being struck <laughs> by the power of God. <laughs> I'm with you. You're with me. We're just people. But we have a very high calling. You have a purpose. I have a purpose to glorify God. And that means everything in my life that happens and I'm, that I do and I intersect in life with others and with life, how I relate to myself, my purpose. How I relate with others, my purpose. How I relate with the earth God created, why I don't throw my wrappers out the window of the car, whether I believe the story of climate change the way it's told or not, 
I still take care of the earth. I have a relationship with the planet. Is that true? Yeah, so we don't deny that. In fact, we need to find out what we're supposed to do about every single situation in our life. And it's not vague. And one that's really not vague that happens to everybody, even if you talk in sign language, (laughs) is communication. Well, how do you glorify God in communication? I am so glad you asked. (sighs) You know, in marriage is one example of relationships, but we will not focus directly on marriage, but I'll take a minute. In marriage, typically, uh, Gail doesn't fit the typical model and, uh, of, a, of a gal's view of everything, and I don't fit the typical guy's model. So I don't believe it's automatic just a certain way. Don't feel like you're getting boxed in. But generally speaking, I talk to a lot of couples through the years. When you ask a woman in a relationship, what do you really want when you guys are really talking? I don't mean having fun, little jokes, we all do, you know, etc. I'm talking about serious conversations, trying to accomplish something in conversation. Most women would say, I just want him to listen to me and let me know that he cares. Most guys, most guys would say, I'm talk. Why are we talking? I just want her to get it. <laughs> this is what it is. Get it. <laughs> but, <laughs> so there's a little difference there between men and women typically in conversation. Um, you know, and, and you see, if your number one goal is to be heard, your number one goal, I'm not saying it's a bad goal to want to be heard. Nobody talks and, and hopes nobody hears them, Right? So it is okay to have other goals within your overall goal. When I'm talking right now, I hope you're hearing me and understanding me. Of course. But when you're in a conversation, if your number one goal is to be heard and to be understood, glorifying God in that conversation can get very foggy. Now, if how does God want me to relate? Does he want me to listen when somebody else is speaking to me? Or does he want me to be formulating what I'm going to say while they're talking? Well, you can't help some of that, right? But, you know, you can help some, and you can tell when you're stuck. When all you're doing is getting a retort ready. Does God want me to listen and care about anybody that's talking to me? Is that glorifying to God, or is it more glorifying to God to not listen and not care? Are you, are you with me? It's very practical. It's very direct. There's no escaping. <laughs> it's real. Because that's glorifying God. Because how would Jesus be in this moment? And he knows everything. He knows what you're thinking. He knows where you're wrong. You don't even have to speak. Just let me tell you. Well, did Jesus do that? He didn't do that to people. And he could have rightly. And who am I that I do that to people? So my, my number one goal can't be to be heard or to be understood, though I do want that. God wants me to relate. Does he want me to listen and others speak, formulate my retort? Or does he want me to rail and spew out garbage and anger and frustration at people and belittle other people? Does he want me to do that? Well, you know, the healthy versus unhealthy relationships in life um, have the same problems come up. It's just how you deal with them. We all have the same stuff come up. There can be a point where it goes off the deep end. And I'm not talking about, well, you don't know, I married an axe murderer. Okay, well, then we need to involve the police in that. It's a different story. But since you're all sitting here, 
and I haven't seen any newspaper uh, stories about it. You, you, know, you don't have an axe murderer in your life. Somebody might from their past. You get my point. So speech is a miraculous gift. And I understand that uh, dolphins and porpoises communicate really great and whales, okay? I think it's wonderful how God made them. They're very intelligent. This is all grand. But that's not what we're talking about. Okay, today we're talking about human. And human communication is different than anything else that's out there. And the ability that we have, the ability that you have to understand the words I'm saying right now and process them is an amazing gift from God, being created in his image. How do you even know what I'm saying right now? Because you learn to speak and hear, and that's an amazing thing. It's a gift from God. And God gives us clear direction in this. First of all, in the gospel, for the gospel, in 2 Corinthians 3.12, obviously, I don't want to bypass this, we won't take time on it, but it says that we have such hope that we use great boldness of speech. So it doesn't mean, oh, i got to talk like Jesus, so I have to talk real soft, which is really hard for me, and some of you would pray for that. <laughs> but real soft, real slow, and real, real calm without any inflection in my voice, you know. That's not what we're talking about. Or be timid to speak. No, you can speak. You're called to speak. But the reason you have... I am so uptight, and you're so wrong, and I'm so right. Me and Jesus are so right, and you're so wrong that I have great boldness of speech. Just veins pop out of my neck. Yeah, that's not what it says. It says we have such hope. I believe God. And I believe what I'm saying to you. And I believe he wants to meet you even if you're in rebellion to him today. He wants to touch your life and draw you close to him. It's his purpose. It's his goal is to bring you to his glory. I have great hope, so I speak. Get it? In the gospel. In Colossians 4, 6, it says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Let's write that down here. One of the great things about we can kind of put it all. There it goes. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, that's not going to work. Those of you... <laughs> that's great. That's great. That's great. I would make a lot of jokes, but we don't have time for distracting. Those listening over the internet will just have to imagine the beauty of the technology that we had available to us today and the intelligent use of it. Okay. So, Grace. We don't need it anymore anyway. I wanted to get your attention with it. I want that picture in your mind. Okay. No, stay focused now. No laughing. Stay focused. Okay. Let your speech be with grace, seasoned with salt. We'll talk about that later. That you might know how to answer everyone. And in Timothy uh, 2, 1 Timothy 2, 6 through 8, it's a larger section to just get the sound bite. Uh, we should have sound speech that cannot be condemned, that the one who opposes you may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Is that going to happen fully? Is that if you speak properly, that nobody's ever going to argue with you or have anything negative to say about you? That I don't think it's saying that it's across the board that's going to happen. But there are many cases by your patient endurance and, and your right words and right heart, hearts will melt around you. It will happen. Somewhere and sometime it will. So keep going at work 
with that person that keeps being uh, obstinate. Keep going in that situation. You're still called to be this person. And, and so it's really sad. We could do 100 verses there. We read James chapter 3. It's sad when someone proclaims themselves a Christian in the media, but don't worry, we're not going to spend all our time on the media. Why would we do that? We already know that. In the media or in private, where most of us live, in relationships. In both cases, though, there is a picture there when a person who claims Christ speaks in an ungodly, demeaning, crude, self-serving manner. We're called to a high calling. We're called to grace. We're called to purpose. And we're called to speak with passion as we speak the truth in love, not to speak ungodly. And I know there's no man who doesn't sin with their tongue, but you know, when I observe the media, I will say this, that it also could be any person that gains a certain following and amount of... It can be a pastor. You started out with three people, you're lucky one came. You share the Lord's word, you seek to be faithful, people come and gather. All of a sudden, you have 500 or 1,000. You think that your authority now is that you can speak more boldly, confidently, and self-righteously, and just tell people what to do, because you're the big shot. Isn't it supposed to be, if it's grace, and the reason I'm being blessed in my ministry is grace, then wouldn't that cause me to be more humble the bigger it gets? I can't believe it. I had three people that I didn't deserve, and now I have 100 that I didn't deserve to get to share with God. Have mercy on me and keep me humble. I'm not telling you who doesn't do that or does. I'm just saying the attitude, there's no room in the kingdom for this self-important attitude. There's, if you have a lot of people, you have a lot of responsibility. That's good. That's okay. You have to be strong. All that's good. But there's another place where people go. And it happens to you and me too. And it happens to TV personalities who started out a little more humble in the way they spoke, and then as they got a following, yeah, we agree with you, they feel emboldened to be crass and crude and sharp and, frankly, ungodly in the way they speak about others. Are you with me? Or does that not happen? And it's very accepted, but you have a high calling. You have a high calling. Don't be influenced by that. Be aware of that. So, in our own lives, you know, <laughs> no man doesn't sin with his tongue, James tells us. If he doesn't, he's a perfect man. Well, we're not perfect, but we have a goal. And we belong to Christ, body, soul, and spirit, correct? Okay, well, is the tongue a part of my body? Yes, unfortunately it is. No, fortunately it is. My tongue is a part of my body. And my body belongs to God. Now, there's other areas for that, too, that we should talk about. But right now, we're talking about the tongue. I exist to glorify God with my tongue. It doesn't mean I can't ever have fun or goof around. I'd be lost. But I sure don't need any help being caustic or sharp. I don't need to be encouraged that way because it comes naturally out of me. What I also want to come supernaturally out of me is the love of Jesus Christ. And that has to be in me to come out of me. I have to be seasoned with salt personally to get that coming out of me. See, the deeper issue is not just what comes out of my mouth, but from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So why does that kind of conversation come out of my mouth? Because it was in my heart, period. You can repent when you see it. That's why you get to see it sometimes. Say, oh, boy, that wasn't really right. 
You know, if I didn't have the gift of repentance, I'd be lost in my marriage. I'd be lost with my children. I'd be lost with you. You know, the fact that I would have to say, Barb, I'm sorry I said a wrong thing to you, should not uh, scandalize you. Do you ever have to tell anybody you're sorry you misspoke? You spoke wrongly? Do you know anybody who doesn't have to do that? And guess what? The more words you speak. (laughs) Oh, God, have mercy. (laughs) It's true. But it's okay. Because we have that gift. We're not under some burden and oppression here. We're being taught to glorify God, what our life is really about. So, Ephesians 4 says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Wow. Corrupt, rotten, putrefied, bad, unfit for use. Come out of your mouth, but let all evil speaking be put out. So, folks, don't ask politicians, entertainers, or bosses to do what you and I are not doing willingly, personally, purposefully. Don't ask other people who don't know Jesus to be the way you think they should be and not really point the three fingers at yourself first, Rick. You know, what we do and also what we celebrate through our ears, our eyes, and our minds as other people do those things. You see, Romans tells us if you celebrate what people do that's evil, you're doing it with them. So that might hone down your entertainment industry a little bit if you actually follow that. It might make you say, and I've said this to myself, I say, now why did I, do you know this? This is, ah, this blows my mind. If you're on Facebook or Twitter or any of that, probably, do I see two hands? Okay. And somebody posts a video, did you know that if somebody posts a video, you don't have to click on it? Did you know that? I know you feel trapped and bound. And that this is your life and your lot in life is that as soon as something comes up, you have to watch it. Let me suggest to you, you have power. Self-control. And if you can tell or you start to watch it and you can tell it's crass, it's crude, it's harsh, it's unfitting. What if you stopped it and said, I don't have to see that thing. And I don't need to pass it on to other people. Because it was funny. There are evil things that are funny. You don't have to do that. You can not click on it. And to think that you're not influenced by the stuff that you take in is total foolishness. Madison Avenue disagrees with you. The guys who make billions, did you hear it? It's billions of dollars who pay 30-second ad on a Super Bowl. Companies go through Madison Avenue and pay two, three million dollars for 30 seconds of advertising because they know people are influenced. And if you say, I'm not influenced, you're simply the person you're tricking. Put your name in there. That's the person you're fooling. You just don't know how you're being influenced. Okay, you didn't go out and become an axe murderer, but your heart is becoming calloused in ways you don't even notice. Your attitude is being tainted in ways you don't notice. And we're inundated, but we're also inundated sometimes around the family dinner table, etc. With our Christian friends as well. Just because you're a Christian doesn't exempt you 
from your speech. It requires you and calls you and your friends to a higher speech. So let no corrupt communication. So don't ask other people to do. Don't ask them to do what you won't do. Do you really believe that, Rick, that it makes that big a difference in our lives, Rick? Well, let me say, James does. He says, the tongue is set on fire of hell. No man can control his tongue, and it does, does incredible damage. Are you arguing with James, or do you agree? So, James seems to think it makes a difference. On the front of your bulletin, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Uh, this Proverbs would tell you different then it doesn't really matter that much. You're making a big deal about nothing, Rick. This proverb would tell you that death and life, whoever, whoever loves it, loves what? Well, do you love death? Then, then let that come out of your mouth. Things that don't bring life. Do you love life? Then let that come out of your mouth because that's the fruit you'll eat. Whatever comes out of your mouth, you're going to eat. Kind of like garbage out, garbage in. <laughs> Rather than garbage in, garbage out, it's both. So, so there's, that proverb would tell you different, and my friends, my cousin Arnold would tell you different. He's gone now, his family's gone now, they'll never hear this, and, and I actually say it to honor him, not to demean him. But my cousin Arnold would tell you a different story. Admittedly, this is an extreme situation of a fragile person, but how did he get there? And does it still apply? See, he was a pianist as a kid, as a child. He was a virtuoso. He was talented. He was extremely musical. And he played the piano when other kids were playing outside, maybe to his parents' a fault of, not, of grooming him so much because teachers told them, piano teachers told them, your son is it. He has the ability to be big-time star, top verse, you know, a concert pianist of the highest degree. He's got the makings. So naturally, they poured into that. And if you have a kid who's good at something, great. Pour into it to a degree. But don't make them imbalanced. Don't make that like this has to be what you do in your life or you'll be unsuccessful. That is really wrong. You don't know all the... So if they injure their hand and can never play the piano again, you've just ruined their life. For, now you, you have to start all over again. You can, you, know, you can tell, okay, look, there's a different way to look at life because you can, but it's a lot harder when you've been feeding this kid that this is all, this is your whole thing. No, your purpose in life is to glorify God and you use the things that he gives you this way to glorify God. And if he gives you this, then use it for him. If he takes it away, then use something else to glorify God. And his parents were great, but they may have groomed him so much that when he got to the age to go to Juilliard, she was from, they're from Oregon into New York, Juilliard, or it could have been, I was 10 years old when this all happened, but I knew about it through my life, is that, uh, um, or, or I was eight, but he went to Juilliard or an equally important school, and a music teacher there who was hardline, I won't say what nationality, I said they were from Europe, <laughs> and they were like this incredible teacher, but they also didn't have any time for anybody that wasn't going to become a superstar. And he played for them, and he starts the school, and they say to him, well, you're good, but you will never be a great. And it crushed him. 
It absolutely destroyed him. He went into shell shock. He was plagued for the rest of his life. With He only did... He'd play the piano as long as there was activity going on. He would still play the piano around, but if you stopped and said, let's, have a con- let's, let's listen to Arnold play, he'd stop. And, 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 um, and um, he just had very basic, minimal type of janitorial jobs. And he lived, you know, today, everybody's kid lives till they're 37 in their parents' basement. <laughs> but he lived in his parents' basement uh, you know, when it wasn't cool, when I, when I was young, you got out of the house. As your parents wanted you out, and you wanted out, okay? And that's what happened is you got out of the house. I know economics are a part of it, but it wasn't like you stayed there and just milked mom and dad, at least not in their home, okay? <laughs> Maybe you did it another way, but, but uh, I'm sure there were, there were both of those existed. But, but you know, and so, so uh, uh, you know, um, he, he lived in his parents' basement, and one night we're over there, and my brother goes downstairs with Arnold. My brother's five years older than I, and probably 15. And he goes down, and, and he goes in Arnold's room, in his outer room, and on all around the walls are these incredible, incredible artwork paintings, oil paintings. Arnold, what, what are these? Oh, just stuff I painted. You painted these? He grabs one. He says, Arnold, people should see. I want to show my dad. No! Get upstairs. Go out. Go away. My brother's like freaked out, goes upstairs. Dad, I don't know what's going on. It's okay. I'll tell you later. That night, Uncle Abe called my dad the next day. And, and he didn't blame my brother. He didn't know. He called my dad the next day and said, Arnold destroyed every single painting. Do you understand what happened here? You're going to show my stuff and somebody's going to say it's not good. I'm going to be rejected again. I will never put myself in the situation to be rejected again. Now, I understand that was Arnold fragile? Yes, he was fragile. But if you use that and say, well, that, you can't help that. Some fragile guy. Man, like, do you catch this one? (laughs) This is talking about the power of life and death in the tongue. And it has bearing on you and you and you and me. And and maybe, hopefully, people aren't as fragile as as Arnold. But my friends, I think even us, you, not us, because I've had to learn it. But some of you are these, you know, I just let it run off my back, man. Nothing bothers me. People can say whatever they want. I don't know that you're lying, I just don't think you realize that you can be, there's pores in your skin. Even thick skin has pores that you don't know stuff's getting in because it influences you in ways you don't even know why you act the way you do sometimes. Even if you're tough, don't deceive yourself. Don't think that you're not influenced. That would be a very short-sighted, you're going to miss your chance to grow in Christ thing for you to do. Don't do it. Don't say, I'm, I, I don't let things bother. Well, that's why I don't let things bother me. Okay, you're, you're better at it than some, but you're not impervious to being influenced by things that have been said to you long. My aunt said to me when my dad died at 15, you're the last hope of your family. You've got to make something of yourself. Thanks for the anvil. I'll wear it well. <laughs> 
And I, you know, when I came to Jesus, it was already hard enough to say yes to Jesus because of being Jewish. I wasn't taught by my parents, if you become a Christian, you're a traitor. But it was just known throughout culture. If you're Jewish, you're Jewish. If you're Christian, uh, Hitler was a Christian. That's how they viewed it. They, they don't understand. They wouldn't say everybody's mean like that. But what have Christians done to Jews? Was there, through history, how can you be a Christian? A Jew is a Jew. But enough, enough just to deal with that, but then to deal with, now you've got, you got to make something yourself. Well, making myself a Jesus freak didn't, wasn't really going to be an answer for my aunt. But I did come to the Lord, like many of you, through whatever obstacles. I don't know that I had that many, but there was an obstacle. And, you know, but what I took with me was I've got to make something of myself as a Christian. I've got to be the answer to everyone's need. I've got to carry the weight of the world on my shoulder as a Christian now. And I carried that for eight years before I identified that that influence had affected me. We're at a Bible study and a group of young people, and I spoke out. And I said, you know, and out of my own mouth came counsel, came wisdom about what I was doing that I didn't know was going to come. Have you ever opened your mouth and you're kind of saying, don't say it, you're making yourself look like a fool. Like you're looking all confused and discombobulated. And that was happening to me, but I couldn't stop myself, and I thank God for that. Because I let out my tension and my fear. With I never understood it. And I went, that's what I'm doing. And the people there kind of went, oh, well. Well, chapter 2 says, <laughs> they didn't, weren't gonna, but they didn't need to. That wasn't their job to fix it right then. But it was my job to deal with it. And the Lord started a slow, very slow work. Somebody said people change, but not very much, and it takes a long time. <laughs> well, I don't think that always happens, but it did with me. It took kind of a long journey. And uh, I'm not saying I've arrived, but I'm a much more, I am much more comfortable. People can say, you better be strong by the time you're 62. If people say, and you're pastor or do anything, and people say things about you or challenge you, you know, first of all, you need to be able to receive challenges in a proper, healthy way and say maybe they're right. But, you know... You also have to be able to, somebody says, you're, you're a fool, you're a jerk, you're ugly, you're evil, you'll never amount to anything, you're this, you're that. Well, maybe that's not true, all of that. Maybe that's not what I'm supposed to receive in my life, huh? You know, and when you hear that voice inside of you, because you don't need a person to say it, there's already a guy out there trying to say that to you. No, God says I'm valuable to him. He's the one that puts value on things. Your yard sale isn't God's storehouse. God has determined that I value, he values me so much that he put Jesus on a cross to save me because the value is the value of his son that he considers to be me. And I accept that in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, work that into my fabric of my life without pride or arrogance, but with absolute certainty because God can do that. He can change us. He can make us new. So, is there other ways than just being harsh and critical and putting pressure on people that can harm us? Yeah, there is. How about flattery? You're the greatest. You're wonderful. I don't know why everybody doesn't recognize that you should be in charge or you should be this or that. And by the way, can I borrow $10? <laughs> Do you flatter somebody to get something from them, to get mutual recognition from them? To get, you, there's something you want, and so you say nice things to them. I don't think every time we say nice things, first of all, I don't think we should never say nice things. We should encourage each other. 
We should tell people when they do a good job. We should give them credit. We should praise their, their labors and stuff in a healthy, proper way. And I won't try to describe all that right now. That's fine. But you have to look at your motive. And if your motive is that you have something you want from them, and you know that in the business world, in the entertainment world, in the general world, there's a lot of flattery. Doesn't mean you should just be harsh and cruel and mean, but don't tell someone, oh, you, yes, you have a wonderful voice. You should be singing up front or you should be singing in the opera if they have a terrible voice. You know, is there anything else that you do that you like? <laughs> because I don't know that singing publicly is maybe you'll have to go to voice classes or Larnix replacement, but... You know, I mean, everybody doesn't sing good. You know, don't tell somebody they do and they should do this if they don't. You know, you don't have to be harsh. Don't set people up for because it makes you feel good because they appreciate you. Don't be selfish. When you open your mouth to tell to somebody, care about them in a healthy way. Is that proper? Is that glorifying to God? Whatever it is you're going to say to them. It doesn't mean you never speak. It doesn't mean you're never honest. It means you are honest. But you're also honest as you need to be, not about things you don't need. You don't look for people to tell things to. I can't wait to find somebody to correct today because I love them. (laughs) We don't need any more of those people in our world, okay? They already exist. So, um, uh, what, what, Rick? What's the uh? (laughs) Flattery can be equally destructive. So the first thing I have to realize is that for my words to be seasoned with salt, as I have mentioned, I have to be seasoned by his word to me. I have to really let it settle and cure me. (laughs) You know, you cure meat with salt. You preserve it. You give it flavor. You know, the sacrifices were salted as they were offered on the altar in Israel. I don't think God was saying you know, my, my spice cupboard up here in heaven is bare and I need some salt. He was teaching us the truth of how offerings are to be given, how, how, we're, to, how we're to honor him with purity, with preserving influence, with flavor, yes. You each have your own seasoning flavor. You know, you don't need to try to be like me. And, you know, I use the example because people here come from, um, have been to his church. I really love Lloyd Pulley in uh, Old Bridge, not Faith Bridge, Old Bridge. I love his teaching. I don't listen to it much. I just don't think about it. But, you know, he teaches like this. His voice just stays steady and calm, and he's just like a rock. He doesn't get all excited. You know, he doesn't scream in the microphone and have his wife tell him when he gets home, you screamed again in the microphone. <laughs> it's killing us. You know, but I'm not Lloyd Pulley. I'm never going to be Lloyd Pulley. Now, I should have some self-control and not be out to get you. Like, what does it mean about glorifying God? It means that as I'm speaking right now, my number one goal isn't for you to listen to me. I hope you do. It'd be good for you to listen to the teaching. My number one goal, and that is a goal, so try to speak in a way that will help people listen, Correct? Maybe tell a joke here to relax everybody and then get back to the point. Do it at the right time, not the wrong time. That would be good to learn. But you know what? My number one goal to come here today is I'm here to please God and honor him. Because I might not be able to keep you from being mad at me. There might be nothing I can do. And that would be a shame and too bad. But, and if there's something I have to correct and you owe it to me, just like you do to anybody else in this room, if they offend you, you are not off the hook. 
your responsibility is to tell them what bothers you to try to correct it, to help them, and to help yourself not carry a burden and an anger. Either do 